We don't live in time that's normal. I believe we live on the verge of the second coming of Christ. And how appropriate it is that we're studying forward to the finish. Because I believe Jesus wants to come back and take us home far more than we realize. And if we, as God's people, allow him to prepare us, I hope and I believe that this generation could be the ones that see the second coming of Christ. What an incredible time to be alive. So as we get ready to open God's word, I'm going to ask you to bow your heads with me as we seek the Lord's guidance to be with us as we open his word. Heavenly Father, we've been blessed through the music. We've been inspired and challenged by the testimonies. We've been reminded over the events over the last few months that you are coming soon. And Father, as we prepare to open your word, the greatest danger that is here this evening is that you'll hide me behind the cross. I pray that, Father, you will not just sanctuary, those who are watching on the live stream, no matter where they are, whether they're watching in their car, their home, might even be some tuning in from a hospital room, may heaven come close to each one. May we make the decisions that you've called us to make. In Jesus' name, amen. The sermon this evening is really divided up into two simple points. So if you're taking notes, which I love it when those who are speaking do this, when I take notes because it makes it very easy, you can put down three headings. Introduction, second heading, go forward, and of faith. It's the story of John. I find the story of Joshua fascinating. We're, we're introduced to Joshua chapter 17. We're, we're introduced to, to Joshua as this man who's a mighty general for God. In Exodus chapter 17, he, he, he's raised up to attack the Amalekites. I love to hear those pages turning. When you're there, if you'd let me know by saying amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Uh, Exodus chapter 17 and verse 8. Notice what the Bible says. Now the Amalekites came and fought with Israel and Rephidim. And Moses said to Joshua, Choose us some men and go out and fight with Amalek. And tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the rod of God in my hand. So Joshua did as Moses said and fought and they won. It's an incredible story. Joshua here is, is, is leading the children of Israel. Now, these were not men who were trained in war. These were men that were husbands. They had been slaves prior to this. They, they really didn't understand how to do war. But God, when he takes a man or a woman, and that man or woman allows God to change their life, that man or woman can do anything that God calls them to do. What do you say? It doesn't matter if you've been trained. Now, training is important, don't get me wrong. But when God calls, by the grace of God, we go forward to victory. Now, it's amazing. You know that it was God. 
if you continue the story, here, here they are fighting. The, the battle is going on. And, and jump down with me to verse 10 because I want you to notice what happens. You're probably familiar with the story, but I want us to see this. So Joshua did as Moses said and fought with Amalek. And Moses and Aaron and her went up to the top of the hill. And so it was when Moses held up his hands. What did Moses need to do? Hold up his hands. What was Moses doing with his hands? He was interceding with the God of Israel for victory. When Moses held up his hands that Israel prevailed, and when he let down his hand, the enemy prevailed. But Moses' hands became heavy, so they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it. And Aaron and Hur supported his hands, one on one side and the other on the other side. And his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. So Joshua defeated Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword. Here is Joshua introduced to the children of Israel. He's the general leading the forces against it. And right at the outset, God gives Joshua this very clear lesson. If you're going to win in anything, you must go forward in prayer. If you're going to win, you must go forward in prayer. But if you go forward in prayer, every challenge you face, every difficulty you face will be overcome by the power of my spirit. It, it, it was an incredible lesson that Joshua learned at that point in his experience. You see, what I find in the story of Joshua is that with God, there is complete victory that we can have. I know that's basic, but it bears repeating because it leads us into our first point in a story I want to share with you. In God, there is what kind of victory? Complete victory. My grandfather, who was a minister and an evangelist for many years, recounted the story of a call he got from an elder in a church he was pastoring. The elder caught up. He said, uh, O.J., or Elder Mills, I should say, my friend is dying in the hospital. He, he really appreciates, um, would like the pastor to come and visit, and I was wondering if you would be able to come and visit. My grandfather said, absolutely. He dropped everything, and he headed to the hospital of going to sleep. His, he's got needles and, and tubes all over his body sticking into him. He's struggling to breathe. He had been a smoker for many years. He had gotten emphysema and, and was uh, in, in lung cancer, and, and he had begun to just ravage his entire body. His skin tone was starting to turn that, that, that hue that happens just before someone dies. And as, as my grandfather is there by the edge of the bed, he, the elder of his church introduced him to his friend. He says, um... He says, hey, this is Elder O.J. Mills. He's the minister of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, and he's come to pray with you. And the man looks over at my grandfather, and a smile creeps across his pain-wracked face. He looks at my grandfather, and now quoting from what my grandfather said, he, he said, I'm so glad that you've come. I admire Seventh-day Adventists. They have such a beautiful faith. But it's too hard. 
I admire those who are able to do it, but, it, but it's too hard. I, I don't know how I can live the Seventh-day Adventist life. My grandfather looked back and shared words of comfort and hope from the Bible. And I'm thankful for the promise that when we turn to Christ, the Lord can save us. And I believe that that man gave his heart to Christ in that hospital. Way too hard. And as he began to think about it, hard to walk the Christian way, he began to wonder, is it really too hard to give up? Puff. He was now suffering with a tube from the pain of the results. It was too hard to give up. Tolerating a painful tube stuck into his stomach to feed him from his bladder and kidneys. He looked at the Christian walk and he said, it's too hard, I can't do that. It would give him the power to overcome. He just walked away saying, I can't do it, it's not possible. Christ, friends, you know what this is. When you walk away from Christ, there is a walk in a pathway that is different than when God has called you to do. You will find in the end there is pain, there is suffering, and there is death. How is it for you this evening? Do you find this lie sometimes taking possession of you? This lie that it's too hard to do what God has called us to do. That the Christian way is, is too difficult. That, that what God has said, hey, this is the next step. This is the way you need to go. We look at it and we say, God, there's no way I can have victory in this area, in the other areas for sure, but God, this addiction, this challenge, this area of surrender that you called me to, there is no way I can do that. It is too hard. And the word of God comes back to you and I when we're in that moment of struggle. And he says, my son, my daughter, go forward. We continue our story of Joshua, pausing this story here, and I want you to go to Numbers chapter 13. You see the children of Israel faced a similar challenge in their, in their walk. They had come to the end of their journey across the wilderness. For the last number of months, they had been traversing deserts and wasteland. They had seen God work miracles but now they're on the edge of the promised land. They're standing on the edge of the Jordan. I've been to the Jordan River. I've stood where the children of Israel stood. I've looked across the river where they looked across. And I saw off in the distance you can just barely make out the city of Jericho. At least where Jericho should be at night. It's easier to see with the lights. And, I, and, I, and as they stood there, you can imagine the anticipation that was building inside of them. They're about to go home. They're about to be in the land that God has promised them. Moses, at the command of God, you'll find this at the beginning of Numbers chapter 13, he selects 12 men. And one of those men is Joshua. The, another one is Caleb. The rest of the list of the other 10 men you'll find there at the beginning of Numbers 13. And he selects these men, and at the command of God, he sends them across the Jordan River to spy out the land. And so they do. And for the next 40 days, these men see an incredible, rich place that God has set aside for them. 
In fact, you go down a little bit farther to verse 23 of Numbers chapter 13, just to give you an idea of how beautiful the land was. Then they came to the valley of Eshcol, and there cut down a branch with one cluster of grapes, and they carried it between two of them on a pole. Israel is not nearly as lush and beautiful today as it used to be back then, but back then, according to the Bible, it was flowing with incredible um, not only fresh water, but incredible, delicious fruits and varieties of, of food to eat. And, and these men come back with a message on their tongues of the promise of what God has given for his people. Verse 26. Now they departed and came back to Moses and Aaron. And all the congregation of the children of Israel in the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh. And they brought back word to them, to all the congregation, and showed them the fruit of the land. Then they told them and said, we went to the land where they sent us. It truly flows with milk and honey. This is the fruit. And at this point, the children of Israel are hanging on every word. I want to pause here for a moment. You know, I... I remember back when I was being wooed by God to surrender my heart to him. You remember back when God started calling you to surrender to him. And, and he starts calling you. And he starts showing you the beautiful promises of what he has for you. You get a glimpse of what heaven might be like. And you, you realize there's this eternal reality that, that we get to live forever. We get to explore the wonders of the universe. We get to have peace from the brokenness of our life, we get to have freedom from the oppression of guilt, a transformed heart, and a life God promises us. I remember as I was going through that and realizing that I wanted to have that life that God had promised me, the wonders of what he had for me were enticing me and pulling me towards him. Do you remember that? But I also remember that Satan was right there at my ear. And as the wonders that God was doing to woo my heart, to fall in love with him, and to realize the sacrifice of Jesus, the incredible gift of the Son of God to save me, Satan was right there to tell me how hard it was going to be to be a Christian. He began to push and paint as broad and as clear as he could all the things that I was going to have to give up and how painful and hard it was going to be. Phil, do you really think you're going to be able to stop doing this? Can you really think that you're going to be able to give up that? And you know what that was for each one of you or possibly might be for you tonight. And, and as, I was, as I was looking at that, the, the, the difficulties of the Christian walk were being painted by Satan and his brought us here. And you know why he was doing that? You know why? Because he did not want me to surrender my life to Jesus Christ. Christ was saying, Phil, go forward. I'll take care of you. Cross the Jordan River. Surrender your life completely to me, and I will take care of every single need that you have. But Satan was there, and he was saying, no, 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 no. There's no way. You can't do it. You've seen how often you've failed before. You've seen how often you've messed up. There is no way that you will be able to be victorious in this. Just give up now and walk back. And, and that temptation may not have been when you were giving your heart to Christ, but I could tell you, friend, tonight it might be something that you're facing right now where God has said, 
I'm asking you to go forward in giving this up. Maybe it was something that you've heard even in this series of uh, this camp meeting so far. And God has said, I'm asking you to give this up. And we look at that and we say, there's no way. I'm not going to give that up. It's too difficult. It's too challenging. And God says, go forward. Maybe you can relate with what the children of Israel were facing. The wonders of what you want come to the screeching reality of what Satan says you're not going to be able to give up. Verse 28, continue on in Numbers chapter 13. Notice what happens. Nevertheless, the people who dwell in the land are strong. These these spies have started off with the beauty, but now they're starting to do what Satan often does to us when God wants to set us free. When God wants to bring us into a peace with him. They start painting the difficult. Notice here, nevertheless, the people who dwell in the land are strong and the cities are fortified and very large. Moreover, we saw the descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites dwell in the land of the south. The Hittites, the Jebusites, and the Amorites dwell in the mountains. And the Canaanites dwell by the sea and along the banks of the Jordan. Stunned silence goes across the entire group there. Bitterness, anger begins to rise. From the heights of excitement, anticipation, to the depths of despair. You know, it's interesting how easily we become discouraged instead of trusting in God. God had parted the Red Sea for them. God had given them water from a rock. He'd come down on Sinai. They had seen the majesty and glory of him. They had watched as Joshua had routed the enemy through the power of God. But at this point, they become discouraged because of apparent difficulties they hadn't even faced. And here we see Joshua's character brought forth again because Joshua is a type of how God wants us to live. You see, when when Satan paints those things, we aren't to look to the discouragement. But friend, we're, we're to look to Christ. And when Satan paints in his most harshest terms the way of victory and it seems impossible to us, we don't look to ourselves because frankly, and you know this, there's no way you're going to be victorious in yourself. Someone should say amen. But in Christ, the victory is ours. I love this quote that I came across the other day. Satan may whisper in your ear, You are too great a sinner for Christ to save. Will you acknowledge that you are indeed sinful and unworthy? You may meet the tempter with the cry. By the virtue of the atonement, I claim Christ as my Savior. Praise God. See, if the children of Israel there by the Jordan River had just claimed Christ, Christ, the enemy would have melted in front of them. And the reality is, when God says, my brother or sister, go forward in this area, if we'll just claim Christ, the victory is ours. 
I, I think of sometimes we struggle. God says it's time to keep the Sabbath. And we struggle with whether we should or not because our job is on the line. I was in a conversation with someone here recently who was saying, you know, my job, they're threatening me to lose my job. If I keep the Sabbath, I'm going to not be able to take care of my family. How can God put me in that type of a situation? But church family, here's the reality. In Christ, in his strength, as we go forward, it now is on his hands to make sure he's taking care of us. You see, if you break the Sabbath to take care of yourself, now it's on you to make sure you can take care of yourself financially. And guess what? We really can't take care of ourselves at all. Only Christ is able to take care of us. But when we trust in him and we put our lives in his hand and we say, God, I'm just going to follow whatever you say. And if you call me to go forward in keeping the Sabbath or in tithing or in giving up other things, then God in his strength, as we heard earlier, will provide exactly what you need at the right time and in just the right way to build your faith and prepare you to stand firm for him no matter what comes. What an incredible God we serve. See, God was setting it up here with the children of Israel. If those ten, if those ten spies had come back and they would said, we see the, 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 the greatness of the giants. We've looked at the, the walls, but we serve a God who is big enough to knock them down. They would have seen God move with a mighty hand, and that generation would have been there in the presence and in the, the promised land that God had given them. Do you want to live in the promised land? Then family, go forward. Don't hold back. Let God set you free. I think of the promise of John chapter 6 and verse 37. Take your Bibles. Hold your finger here as a number 13. But go with me just quickly to this beautiful promise in John chapter 6 and verse 37. It's a promise along the same lines that if you come to Christ, he will take you through. John 6, 37, are you there? Notice what the word says, all that the Father gives me will come to me. And the one who comes to me, I will by no means, what? Cast out. For I have come from heaven, not to my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of the Father who sent me, that of all he has given me, I should lose how much? Nothing, but shall raise it up at the last day. Every one of us, in the grace of Jesus Christ, can be saved, and in him we are victorious. Whatever may be the fortifications in your life, in Jesus you may and you will overcome. I wish the story was different I wish that the children of Israel there at that point in, the, in their history had crossed the Jordan, had believed in God, how different the rest of the history would have been, but sadly it wasn't. They succumbed to the lie that this was too big an obstacle for them to overcome. And they turned around and they became angry. And actually by the next morning, we're going to stone Moses, Aaron, Caleb, and Joshua. You see, Joshua, this mighty man of faith, had stood up. He had stood in the face of everything that they were saying, and he had said, I'm going to go forward by the grace of Christ. You've you got to understand, 
we can conquer in Jesus. We can be victorious in Jesus. Caleb had done the same thing, but the rest of Israel did not. And then God showed his face. And for the next 40 years, they had to wander in the wilderness. I want to just touch on this one point. When God says, go forward, if we choose to hold back, we're going to be wondering in a wilderness for far longer than God ever wanted us to. Don't hold back. Whatever God's calling you to do, take the step forward. Praise God. Beginning of Joshua, 40 years later when they come back, jumping forward 40 years, they're standing there by the edge of the Jordan. Two spies now go. And these two spies come back that the people are afraid of who's coming. God is going to give the victory. The children of Israel have learned their lesson. This time, they walk across the Jordan. This time, they step forward in faith. This time, you can read the story there at the beginning of Joshua. God gives them the victory. This time, they march around Jericho for seven days. It's incredible, the victory, that, the, the way that God worked. And this time, at the seven days, when they shout, God gives the victory in its entirety. Complete and total. So this brings us to point number two, go in humility. You see, here they had finally accepted the call of God. God had said, go forward. They said, okay, in God's strength, we're going to go forward. And God gave them the victory at Jericho. And so if you come down with me to Joshua chapter 7, that Joshua and the children of Israel are starting to think, well, we've got this. God's giving us the victory. We can go forward. The strength is ours. The, the power is ours. We're going to be victorious. Let's move on forward. And so there's this little tiny city of Ai, not far from Jericho. doesn't have a whole lot of people. And the spies had kind of gone and looked at it, and they came back, and they said, you know, Joshua, we really don't need to have a lot of people go there. If we just, we just send a few people, maybe two or 3,000, we can absolutely take Ai. We've got this. Joshua says, yeah, that sounds about right. Let's, let's do that. And so, fresh off the victory of Jericho, they start trusting in their own strength to be able to go forward. And so they send about 3,000 men. You find the story there in Joshua 7. About 3,000 men, they send them on to Ai. And they're completely decimated by this little tiny city. Now, if you had just seen God give you this incredible victory... If you had just watched him knock down the walls, and there's this little tiny town of, of Ai, wouldn't you have thought God would give the victory? Doesn't he want his people to be victorious? Does God want you to be victorious? Absolutely. He wants us to be victorious. But here's the key in Jesus. You see, Joshua made the mistake that we often make when God starts giving us the victory. As we start having victory in Christ, you know how it goes. We start thinking that somehow we're, we're doing it. And we start coasting in our Christian walk. Our, our prayer time doesn't 
isn't as deep or as long. And maybe we start missing that, that time of God in devotions and prayer. Maybe we start going into our day without as much of a focus on Christ. And as we do this, what happens is we are setting ourselves up to be routed by Satan in the battle of life. Because, church, we can't do it without Jesus. Period. And what's amazing to me is here's Joshua, this mighty man of God, who's been in the presence of God, who's talked with Christ, and he fell for the deception of Satan that Joshua could do it in his own strength. How much more do we need to be careful? You see, not only do we go forward, but we must go forward in humility and complete dependence on Jesus Christ. You see, Philippians chapter 2 and verse 13 It's God who works in, what's the next word, do you remember? In you, to will and to do of his good pleasure. It's God that does the work, not me. Zechariah chapter 4 and verse 6, you know the verse well. Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. There's no victory if we don't go forward in the power and the strength of Jesus Christ. And... And so that's, that's the second key that I learned that I want to share with you all from the story of Joshua. The first is that when God says, go forward, we go forward. But the second is, as we go forward, we do it in humility and in complete dependence on Christ. Time fails me to to touch on why they failed at AI, but I'll just mention it briefly. You can study it on your own. There was sin in the camp. One individual, just one of the hundreds of thousands, one individual had taken what God had forbidden. He'd taken what he called a beautiful Babylonian garment and some talents of gold and buried him in his tent. And that one sin held the blessing of God back and led to the loss of life and to the routing of the army of Israel. Don't let any sin stand in your life. Friend, if we allow sin It will be the undoing of not just our Christian walk, but the people around us. And I say that to myself. In my life, as well as in you, we need Jesus to remove every bit of sin. If you're holding on to anything tonight, it will be your undoing. But if you let it go and put it in the hands of Jesus, He will give the victory. How does it work? Look, go with me to Hebrews chapter 12. Appreciated the time this morning during the divine hour in Hebrews 11. Powerful message. Go with me to Hebrews 12. 
You know these well, but they never grow old reading them. Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto who? My inadequacies? My inabilities? Or Jesus? Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. Church, we need to look to Christ. If Joshua had gone to Jesus before attacking Ai and had said, God, can we go? God would have said, no, you need to deal with this problem right now. But instead, Joshua thought he had it. And so he took his eyes off Christ, he looked at his men, and he said, let's just go and Take 3,000, you can knock this out. And church, if on our lives we think we've got it, the moment you think you've got it is the time when you are the most at risk of falling. It is when we think that we're okay that we are in the greatest danger of falling for Satan. Keep your eyes on Jesus. And the beautiful news is as we look to Jesus, as we focus on him, he transforms us. The victory becomes ours in Jesus Christ. I don't know what you find your struggle to be today. But I would say, based on the story of Joshua, go forward in the strength of Jesus Christ. I don't know what you're facing today. But I would say, on the story of what God did with Israel, go forward in humility with your eyes fixed on Jesus. And the difficulties that are in front of you will melt away in the power of of Jesus Christ. The year was 1420. The Reformation was in the very beginning phases, and Satan was doing everything he could to stop the movements of God. It's one of my favorite stories uh, that we recorded um, with Light and Shackle. Sigismund, the newly installed king of Bohemia, was determined to destroy the Protestant and Reformation movement that was sweeping across his country. As the spring of 1420 arrived, he raised a vast army of 80,000 soldiers and moved to destroy the heart of the Reformation in Bohemia, which was located in the city of Prague. These men were drawn from 33 nations across Europe, from Spain all the way to Russia. Along with nobles, knights, and squires were numerous clerics up to the rank of archbishop, as well as retainers, townsmen, and peasants. They had been promised forgiveness for their sins and an exemption from purgatory and immediate entrance into heaven if they came to squash out this Protestant movement. I can imagine being inside the the town of Prague. Prague's a beautiful city, by the way. Um, I can imagine being inside and looking over those walls and a huge army sea of tents spread out with 80,000 soldiers plus all the others that were needed to be able to keep an army of that size fed, clothed, and healthy. As the citizens of Prague looked out across the river, 
There was much fear and trepidation. They weren't trained as soldiers. They were no match for these well-trained men. They were poor peasants, men, women, and children who knew nothing of fighting. They were greatly outnumbered, destitute of weapons and of any form of training. The battle should have been quick. However, the citizens of Prague were trusting in a God who has never lost a battle. And God had called them to stand firm for truth. And when God calls you to stand firm, no matter how large the enemy is, in the grace of Christ, you can go forward victorious in Jesus. Sigmundson decided to take a, an outpost that was at a critical crossing roads of, of roads for supplies into Prague. So he sends 3,000 of his elite cavalry to take this outpost. It's guarded by 26 men, two women, and one small girl against 3,000 elite cavalry. These people had no weapons. They were reduced to hurtling stones and lances and anything else they could get their hands on. And one woman whose name has been lost to history heard the command of God resounding in her ear, go forward, I'll give the victory. She marches out, rallying the other people in this little tiny garrison. And she yelled these words as she charged out to what was certain to be, in everyone's minds, her death. No true Christian will ever retreat from the Antichrist. Praise God, her courage inspired the others. And as God would have it, this small handful of people, as they depended upon God and trusted in Him to give the victory, held off the thousands until General Ziska could mobilize his reinforcements. And here they came. You can see them making their way across out of Prague to this little tiny place. They are nothing to the 3,000 of the cavalry. They're badly outnumbered, terrible, terribly trained. They have nothing to do. To be able to take it. But what they do is they trust in a God that says, go forward, and that he will give the victory. They put singers out in front, singing hymns. And as they're singing and praying and recounting the promises of God, Sigismund's elite forces turn and run. They threw themselves off the cliff. They trampled upon each other. They couldn't get away from this singing choir fast enough. They drowned in the river and even fought with each other in the confusion that ensued. Those 3,000 were routed completely before a single shot was fired by the forces of Zivka. The battle was won, not by strength of arms, not by human wisdom, but by the power of God in answer to the prayers and cries of his people for help. The few survivors of the retreating forces recounted later that they felt a supernatural fear take hold of them as they ran 
You see, when you trust in God, the victory will be yours. In a moment, Matt and Josie are going to sing for us. A song called, Jesus, Use Me, I'm Yours. Words begin, I bend my knees. This song, my plea, Jesus, use me, I'm yours. My dreams, my plans, my heart, my hands, Jesus, use me, I'm yours. I know an audience this size, those watching on the live stream, listening on Strong Tower Radio, there's someone here tonight. The forces of darkness have surrounded you and caused you to feel that there's no way you can have the victory. Satan's lie has been whispered in your ear. You can't stop working on Sabbath. You can't pay a full 10% in tithe. <laughs> Giving up this addiction? There's no way I can walk away from that food article or that piece of media or that other area that God's put his finger on. It's like the thick-walled cities in the promised land. You want to live in Jesus, but you don't know how you can do it. Tonight, Jesus says, look away. He's a liar, father of lies. Look to me. In me, you can be victorious. So tonight, while Matt and Josie sing, I'm going to ask you to make a surrender. Whatever it is, don't fight. Don't wander any longer in the wilderness. But ask Jesus, trust in him, and go forward from victory to victory. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.